Because I can control the weather, they call me Storm. Welcome to This Week in Nerd News, your one-stop shop for all of the pop culture you may have missed this week. Brought to you by the Black Nerd Problems Broadcast Network. I am your host, Mikkel Snyder. And I'm your other host, Keith Ree Cleveland. It is week five, or six, or seven, since we've all been inside our houses, socially distancing from one another. Time continues to have no meaning, but we thankfully still have pop culture news to talk about. Yeah, last week we had our anime episode where we discussed all the things we were binging, and now we're back to a regularly scheduled programming, and we're off to a continued start on this uh, developing plague situation, so. We knew it was coming, but it certainly doesn't sting any less. Straight from their press release, for the first time in its 50-year history, San Diego Comic-Con convention... Uh, SDCC for short, the organizers behind the annual pop culture celebration announced that with deep regret that there will be no Comic-Con in 2020. This is not the first, and in all likelihood will not be the last convention to be cancelled because of the current COVID-19 situation, but it's certainly one of the most high-profile ones, and its sibling con, WonderCon, has also been delayed to 2021. So the severity and lasting impact of our current social climate continues to make itself abundantly clear. We discussed this in earlier episodes beforehand when we got the first wave of announcements, but con seasons are a staple for the entertainment industries from a creator standpoint, a consumer standpoint, and even a press standpoint. Uh, Indie creators lose their income. Information about new projects doesn't get the same exposure without that first-hand word-of-mouth energy. And local businesses are doubly hurt by all of this because not only are they losing out on the tourism bump on on all of the people coming to these big conventions, they're losing out on all of their regular businesses because everything's closed for good reason. If there is something to be taken out of this from a positive note, it's very heartening to see that the organizers of SDCC are listening to the health advisors and the local government and accepting that 2020 just isn't this their year. It sucks that this is happening during its 50th year anniversary, but if it means the continual well-being of various people as a whole, it's more than worth it. But hearing this, it really just drives... Uh, drives forward how much this will change everything going forward honestly yeah again like you said not surprising but that still doesn't change how disappointing this news is at this point in time the coronavirus has impacted everyone that's around in some capacity or form here and there some more than others as we've seen entertainment industry as a whole has completely come to a screeching halt because San Diego Comic Con originally was just about comics and meeting cool creators and stuff like that but like 15 years ago became the hotspot for all entertainment all film all that stuff and everything and also became like a landmark on everyone's calendar to say hey during this weekend I'm going to get all the new trailers for all the stuff I've been looking wait, waiting for so even if they had Comic Con it probably would not have really been that eventful because they would have had nothing to really show or talk about at least not this current duration and everything like that but again first and foremost it comes to people's safety and everyone making sure they're taking care of each other themselves and everything 
it is very unfortunate for Santa, Santa Comic Con is being the 50th year coincidentally, but also all the local businesses because I know this is like the biggest thing to happen in San Diego every year, and that's not happening now. So we'll just see how that kind of bounces back and everything. But but on the bright side, this makes us all that much more interested in stuff when it finally mm-hmm. does come back. And I think it also does pave the way for some things that people have been asking for in the past about, like, digital cons, about interviews with people that are made available. And, like, one of the biggest things with comic conventions is that it's a little prohibitive to get in, especially if you're a general audience member, right? Uh, Press are likely or lucky enough to have the ability to, like, get access via, like, we're covering this so it's a mutually beneficial thing. But for fans... It can be tough sometimes financially. And given that the landscape is changing rapidly and that they still want this exposure, they still want this engagement, it will be interesting to see how some of the cons, not all of them, because not everyone wants to do that, but there are definitely certain uh, venues for digital engagement, for using all of these telecommunication tools that we have, for making pop culture more accessible. We don't know how that's going to play out, but hopefully we can see some sort of change because, yes, this is happening for the first time on the scale. God hopes it never happens again, but we should be adapting. We should be becoming more inclusive as as a entertainment industry sector type thing. So, Yeah, like you said, this definitely does lend itself to an interesting opportunity where we can try and take advantage of the fact that we live in 2020 and make this more of a digital experience that is more accessible to more people. Because I know, for one, that will benefit the artists. Because if there's no artist alley, they can't make the money that they normally would make on commissions and just, like, the interactions with fans. And also, they just won't get the support they normally get. Because I know that I also read a lot of webcomics from Webtoons. And I was reading one of the comics, and at the end, one of the creators went, hey, so no comics, uh, no conventions for me next week, but I'm going to keep my eye out for the rest of the year. And while reading that, in my mind, I'm going like, yee, that's probably not going to happen. And then lo and behold, like every convention in the country pretty much got stopped completely. And I'm thinking about creators like that, who make content that we all love, and they depend on the convention circuit as a major source of income. So maybe we can do something digital where, like, they do, like, Q&As or something. Maybe we can still have, like, some panels. Because, let's be totally honest, there are way too many panels at conventions anyway, so we don't need to have as many. Well, I have a question for you, but really it's more of a comment. Um, <laughs> oh, God, my Comic-Con? Oh, no, what happened? <laughs> sorry, sorry. J- j- just some con humor for anyone watching. Um, But, no, so... S- Speaking to that, speaking to that, uh, if you are in a position, please support all of your favorite indie creators on the Patreon, buy their merchandise, commission them if they have their commissions open. All of these are good things to do, and they really appreciate it. I'm about to pull a quote from a man who I have very mixed feelings about to describe a man who I actually am a big fan of. No one man should have all that power. It's a quote that could easily be applied to the life of none other than J.J. Abrams. Having already left his mark on some of the most notable franchises that we know and love, including Star Wars, Star Trek, and even Mission Impossible, he's not slowing down anytime soon. After Abrams' bad robot productions company inked a $250 million deal with Warner Brothers Studios back in September, we finally get to see what the kinds of projects the director and studio are working on. Firstly, it looks like we're still getting Justice League Dark, folks. After originally being planned as a DCEU movie way back in 2012, attached to every name under the sun, including Guillermo del Toro, 
It was announced this week that it will be one of three one-hour shows J.J. Abrams will be working on. Constantine and Swamp Thing already appear in one of DC's many, 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 many other TV shows. So I'm actually pretty interested in seeing how this version of Justice League Dark pulls characters in different universes and how it builds on itself and just what stories they want to tell. Next up, as I said, there are three one-hour shows he's producing. Abrams working on a show called Overlook, which is a 10-episode horror thriller inspired by The Shining that focuses specifically on the haunted hotel that film is set in. Maybe they'll find a way to explain where that elevator of blood came from and how physics work in that universe and also give me an origin story for those creepy twins who I'll never forget. But this also comes on the tale of Dr. Sleep, which is a sequel series to, Stranger, to The Shining. So there's a lot of fanfare for that right now. And lastly, he's working on a show called Duster about a getaway driver in the 1970s. Don't know anything else outside of that, but I'm kind of imagining like a driver type movie and looking really cool. We'll see. But anyway, hopefully life gets back to normal sooner rather than later so we can finally see these amazing shows get into production, which means that sooner we'll be able to see them on television. Mikhail, did you just catch your interest? So here's, here's the lowdown, right? I love J.J. Abrams when he first started, like, really making himself a name in, like, the cinema spheres, right? Super 8's, like, one of my top five movies of all time. There's lots of good things happening in that movie. It's an homage to all of the Spielberg era of film, but, like, on its own, it's also just a really well-constructed story, right? He has executive produced a lot of great television series. The one that always comes to mind when I think of it is, like, Fringe which had an amazing first season and had, like, several uh, uh, great seasons after he had stopped showrunning. Current J.J. Abrams, I have have many mixed feelings about for obvious reasons, right? Because, like, we had The Force Awakens, which was a good Star Wars movie, right? And then we had The Rise of of Skywalker, which was a, um, a Star Wars movie. That's, that's about as kind as of a thing I will say to that. I didn't like The Rise of Skywalker a lot, I think is really what I'm trying to get at, right? It didn't live up to the promise of The Last Jedi. I know that that could be a controversial thing to say, depending on who is listening to us right now. So that was a mixed thing. His Star Trek things have been pretty uneven as well. He also got his son to write Spider-Man for Marvel, which is just like nepotism. Which, you know, it's a thing. We deal with this thing. But, like, you sort of look at that and then you sort of like, oh, look at this. It's it's just... Yeah, so mixed feelings about J.J. Abrams, like, current work. I, I love him. He does a lot of interesting things. He's very good at world building. He's less good at uh, finishing a world. <laughs> I think that's the best way to put it. <gasps> That's actually very, very accurate. Like, he's very good at world building. Like, actually, his first films in these franchises are my favorite ones. Like, Star Trek, the first one he made, is like one of my favorite movies. Whenever it's on TV, I just watch it because I can't look away. And honestly, The Force Awakens is probably one of my favorite Star Wars movies, to be totally honest. Like, it might be like top two for me. So you're definitely right there. Like he's really good at world building. And honestly, like I'm a sucker for origin stories anyway. That's why I prefer The Godfather Part 1 to Part 2. And there are many other examples of that whole like pattern in my fandom and stuff. So that might be why I like J.J. Abrams as I do. Okay. So speaking through the specific projects you have listed, we're going to work backwards, essentially. Uh, Duster? The driver part of school? I don't know how I feel about 1970s genre set pieces. Not because like it's inherently bad. It's just sort of like... There has to be a really compelling reason for why this is going to be set in the 1970s for me to, like, 
care about it, you know? Fair. We do get a lot of films in the 70s and 80s for no reason other than that's when they grew up, and that's what they want to talk about. I'm like, I wasn't there, though, so I have it enough. Yeah, so it's just sort of like, that's fine, that's okay. If I'm not going to, like, jump onto it, but, like, I'll keep an eye out for it. Overlook, always interesting. The Shining is one of those classic seminal horror films and horror franchises, especially with the inclusion of Doctor Sleep now. The Hotel is a really cool set piece. I'm not sure I necessarily want to get this origin story of the elevator of blood and the creepy twins because there is something to be said about them just being unknown malevolent forces out in the world, but like at the same time, being in that world is interesting because there is a lot going on there with the concept of like supernatural forces infiltrating regular people's lives. And you know I love DC Comics. You know I love them so much. And they've just had a really rough go these last couple of years. Um, and it, it's it's hurt to like see see some of the media. Some of it's been good. Some of it has been solid. So Justice League Dark, uh, they've been trying to get this for so long. Like, I think it's even earlier than 2012. But like, uh, Constantine and Swamp Thing are two of my favorite characters. I really like the... Uh, iterations that they had in like this most recent generation of stuff with Matt Ryan as Constantine and the short-lived only exists because of a tax loophole in Alabama or Georgia uh, for Swamp Thing. It was one of those two. Uh, The entire production was basically funded by a tax loophole. It's wild stuff, right? Um, So I'm interested to see uh, Constantine and Swamp Thing again. Uh, I really want to see a live-action Zatanna, just like really badly. So hopefully that'll be there too. It's a fun cast. It's a fun cast of characters. I love the DC characters, so like I'm I'm in for a penny and for a pound at this point. I've been burnt a lot, but I'm I'm willing to go forth again. So. And I, again, like we said, I trust J.J. Abrams to build a world, to build a cool sandbox. I don't know if I trust him to, like, not destroy the sandbox halfway through. But, you know, we'll see. But he has time now. He has so much time. All right, and with that, we'll take a break, folks. So, this episode of This Week in Nerd News is sponsored by Wiretap, the Chrome extension that makes Netflix social. It's live tweeting made for your Netflix life. See thoughtful commentary and theories from Netflix bloggers and superfans, and never watch your favorite movie or series alone. Whether you want to engage with others or be a fly on the wall to scroll through the latest fan theories, Wiretap makes Netflix communication easy right from your Chrome browser. Go to wiretap.co or search wiretap in the Chrome store and join the future of streaming. That's wiretap.co. As a bonus, many of your favorite writers from Black Nerd Problems, including us at This Week at Nerd News, are going to be using this service. So over the next two weeks, from April 11th to April 25th, Mikkel, Keith, and I will be watching and commenting on Season 1 of Haikyuu. So we have been talking about this for a while. We've been wanting to do a group binge of this volleyball anime for forever. And now you can watch along with us. So add the Wiretap Chrome extension to join the conversation. 
The streaming wars have sort of taken a backseat these last few months as the world has had other pressing issues to deal with, but fret not. Companies still want your money, and they are still willing and able to put new programming out there to entice you to get it. This week, we got our first proper glimpse into the NBC's platform, Peacock, debuting this July 15th with two tiers, $5 with ads and $10 without. There is additionally a free tier preview tier if you own Comcast. I don't know anyone who owns cable, so I'm not sure who I'm telling, but maybe one of you listeners has it, so keep an eye out for that. (laughs) Or their parents do, yes. But let's take a look at some of their key players that we got highlight reels for. Uh, We have Brave New World, a series based off the novel you definitely read in high school about, you know, genetic control and keeping people uh, happy under the pretense of a utopia that's actually a dystopia. You know, the first, the proto-story of all of those things. Other series include Angeline, which is about a L.A. pop culture icon whose claim to fame was putting herself up on billboards and just being an attractive woman. This series stars Emily Rosam. It's a very strange trailer. It was a very strange time, and it's sort of... uh, preluded a lot of the things we see with Instagram in modern era, so that'd be fascinating. Uh, for all of you Psych fans out there, the second film, Psych 2, Lassie Come Home, is also going to be on that network. Uh, if you love Psych, you're going to love the movie. The first one was great. The second one looks looks fun. Uh, we also have Intelligence, a spy workplace comedy featuring the everyday white man himself, David Schremer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know a better way to describe him. I'm sorry. It's just <laughs> that's him, right? Like he's just yes. yeah. So it looks like a spy workplace comedy with David Schremer. Like it's just it is what it is. Um, and rounding out the trailers that we saw this week, uh, truly the the one that is going to spark the most conversation this segment, we saw the Saved by the Bell sequel series that I have so many feelings about and i actually forced keith to watch this trailer so we could talk about it so keith uh thoughts on the trailer and then thoughts on peacock as a whole thoughts on the trailer that is incredibly cringeworthy like and to a certain degree i know that you want to be cringeworthy because that's the thing that people are into and they enjoy it and they like collectively talk about it together but if you take it too far no one has a good time watching that and I'm fearful that this show will indeed be that, both for like Saved by the Bell fans and people who have never seen a single episode. And I land somewhere in the middle of that because I've seen it like in passing as a kid who grew up in the 90s and it was very colorful and high school drama and stuff. And that's about as far as I went into it. I am very, very concerned to see how Slater's life turned out. Remember how much fun high school used to be? You believe that was like 30 years ago? These kids, they can be sheltered. You're so hot and popular. You're like Justin Bieber if he wasn't like 100 years old. And clueless. Based out is 99% paperless, so getting your books is kind of a pain in the ass. Oh, it took forever. Time out. What did that blonde fool just say to me? It may look like I'm a hot, happy guy. You're a gym teacher, and I saw you eating soup in your car. When I was in high school, I constantly used to fight with my best friend over a hot girl. I was actually your dad. Over your mom. Then I just found another girl that I really liked, and I started hooking up with her instead. 
Oh, wait, that was your mom. They even make jokes about that in the trailer. Like, yeah, you're a gym teacher at a high school, and I saw you, like, drinking soup in a car. I'm like, is that what his life has come to? Are they implying that he lives in his car? Oh, no. And on the other hand, which is also very predictable, Zach is the governor of whichever state they're in, California, I believe. Of course he's governor of California. And the show appears to feature his son, who is incredible. He's the son you would expect him to have, actually. Now that she's great casting. But I'm just concerned from top to bottom. Again, this show isn't made for me because I'm not like a diehard Saved by the Bell fan. Like, I can do with or without it. But it's going to be interesting seeing what the world reaction is to this. Yeah, Saved by the Bell is one of those, like, series that, like, you definitely saw a couple episodes if you were that age uh, because it, like, a a 90s kid story, right? Because, like, that was the time. It was a very, like, popular high school story. It hasn't aged well. It really hasn't. And the internet knows that it hasn't aged well because there's an entire YouTube channel uh, dedicated to commenting on the main character. It's a Zach Morris is a jerk. And it's just a series that just breaks down every single thing that Zach Morris has done and why it's questionable, why it's disconcerting, and why he's a horrible person to him and his friends. And he has the ability to stop time and just talk about his men excuse me and talk about his maniacal schemes and like yeah this is how i'm gonna convince tiffany to date me yes this this will be it uh tiffany's the name of the actress and not the name of the character this doesn't really matter the show is just it's a product of its time for the worst um and this sequel series uh this trailer particularly it's it's a lot it's a lot, um, and it's a lot because, one, they have Elizabeth Berkley as Jesse Spano and Maria Lopez as A.C. Slater coming back, reprising their roles, and Slater as a high school gym teacher who is eating soup out of his cars and trying to give out teacherly advice to two students and instead saying, like, yeah, I used to fight over my best friend, over a girl with my best friend, and that was your dad. And your mom, actually. And then I would hook up with someone else. It's like, oh, that was your mom to the other student in the room. Like, that's just... That was a moment in this trailer where it's like, what the hell is happening here, guys? And the fact that uh, that Zach Morris is the governor of California. And that the premise of the show is that Zach Morris is, like, integrating a lower-income uh, high school into this uh, more... Uh, rich district is really the only way to say it like there are just levels here that are just questionable at best and this is one of like the star lineups for the peacock series like this is what's gonna draw people in and i'm sitting here so if i i don't i don't want access to this i don't i don't no like i'll pay you to not make it maybe Like, here's $5. Never talk to me again. That might be what ends up happening. Can I get the $7 too? Or I have ads, but I don't have any access to this. Like, you still get money. I just never have to worry about it. That'd be great. Yeah, and as far as the rest of these shows go, like, they all seem going a range from being interesting to odd. Nothing here really catches my eye, to be totally honest. Like, Brave New World, I could just read the book again and just, like, go through that. Um, I didn't actually watch Suck. It seems like my kind of show. I just missed it. And there's way too much stuff out there for me to go back. So this isn't really my thing either. And I, but I did hear they're going to get like some 
big like old properties they want to put on the app. So that's our saving grace when it comes to resubscribing and everything. So we'll see how that goes. Quick digression though, speaking of shows that didn't age well, and I just realized this for this week. Did you hear about the Boy Meets World drama that happened this week? What? The Boy Meets World drama that came out this week. Oh no, no, don't ruin this for me, Keith. What happened? So the actress who played Angela, Sean's ex-girlfriend when they went to college, her name is Trina McGee. Uh-huh. She came out online and said that she worked either on a hostile work environment when she was on set because originally unnamed characters, I mean castmates, called her an Aunt Jemima, a bitter B-word, and like told her they were in vocal, just generally really rude to her or something like that. So like a lot of the racist, misogynist stuff comments. I'm not going to say which actors I suspected it were when someone told me this and I read this, but all the ones who I hoped it wasn't is exactly who it was. So the castmates who were called out for doing this were Will Friedle, who played Eric, who went on to apologize, Danielle Fischel, and Corey Matthews, and I forgot his first name. I forgot his name, actually. But those three came out this week. So that was a ruining, childhood ruining moment for me, for sure. Will Fordell came out and apologized, and she even said that he apologized 22 years ago, and again, days ago, in a three-page letter. We talked more on it, and he acknowledged that he, was, he really wasn't educated enough in his early 20s to know he was truly offending me. This should be a teaching moment for all, says McGee. So, yeah. If you were looking for a reason for your childhood to die, that was one. I just need celebrities to stop doing bad things. And that's asking a lot, apparently. Right. Like, it's sort of like, don't do things that... You just, just just stop. Just stop. It shouldn't be this hard. So, going back to Peacock, j- just for a second, just for a half a second, uh... I think the saving grace of the platform is the fact that, as you said, it has a lot of the other NBC properties that are already in existence, um, and I think that's the real big draw. You know that a lot of people are going to flock to it because of The Office, which I know you and I both just sort of like, why? But it is it is a thing that will attract people to the uh, to the streaming platform, so we'll see. I'm going to wait. Yeah, that's all I got. And that's all that's needed. All right, folks. Like we do every week, let's close out our show by briefly touching on some of the headlines that we couldn't devote an entire segment to, but still feel you should know. And we call this our lightning round. For this week's lightning round, DC Comics announced that it will start selling books again as of April 28th, which is a great sign for the industry as a whole, which was pretty much frozen for the past month or so. Fingers crossed that other publishers decide to make the same decision. If you like more Mandalorian in your life, Disney Plus announced an eight-episode documentary series about the show's creation, which will debut on May 4th, a.k.a. May the 4th, Star Wars Day. Netflix inked a first-look TV deal with Boom Studios, and my timeline is back to being a war zone and a bit of a dumpster fire every Sunday night because HBO's Insecure has returned, and fans are constantly debating about things that happened in the last episode. If you'd like to hear our thoughts on these or anything else in nerd news, feel free to tweet us at BlackNerdProblems with the hashtag TWINN. That was This Week in Nerd News. Tune in next week for more pop culture news. Once again, I'm your host, Keith Reed Cleveland. I'm your host, Michael Snyder. You know, like, comment, subscribe, and we're listening to podcasts because it does indeed help our show reach more people. Thanks. Hang in there, folks, and have a great week.